Well, good morning. It is so good to be home with you all. Uh, we were in uh, Texas last week, and I'll be honest with you, I, I kept looking at the clock, and every time the clock would strike a certain 10 or 15 minutes, I'd, want, I'd, I'd know what you'd be doing and wish I was with you. You people have ruined me for other churches. So, uh, yeah. I want to say a big thank you to, to Michael Height. He did such a fabulous job. We love you, Michael. I loved hearing his heart for uh, our brothers and sisters in Latin countries. That's his heart and his mission, what God has called him to. And he kind of shared some of the struggle, some of the abuse, and some of the difficult things that have happened around uh, the world, especially in Latin countries. And even in our country and how we can do a better job to love uh, those that are Hispanics and our, our Latin brothers and sisters here. And so thank you, Michael, so much. Michael talked about the fact that James had a rebuke, and it wasn't just for the rich. Right? It was for any of us that would take advantage of somebody for selfish gain. That's, that's sinfulness, right? That's, we don't need to do that. We need to, we need to love people well. And, and much of the book of James is about how to treat people who are marginalized. And I would say even uh, those who are abused in working situations are some of those folks. Uh, he spoke about the fact that if you've been abused, if you're one of the ones that have, has been hurt and, and, and struggled in a working situation or other, to be patient because Jesus is coming back, right? And we can have hope in that. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. And of course, we know at the last part of the text, it says, even if you are struggling, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like, have integrity even in the middle of the struggle. So this has been a good study, hasn't it? This is our last message in the book of James in our series called Counterfeit Faith. And so I want to say this, just like you would do for anybody, if you're listening to a speech, or if you were finishing up a book, or if you were at a movie theater in the last 10 minutes, you don't want to miss that, do you? You want to pay attention. And it's the kind of thing where you, you need to kind of sit up a little bit and go, okay, how's he going to wrap this up? How's this going to, what's the finality piece of this? How is God going to show me something that he hadn't shown me before? And I want us to, to take a look here and sit up and pay attention to what God is showing us through this last a few verses of James. Now, James is going to authentically encourage us to connect with God. And so this message this morning is about prayer. It's about prayer. In fact, you know, James had a, a nickname. You know, a lot of us have different nicknames for different reasons. James' nickname, and I haven't mentioned this in this whole series, James's nickname in church history was Old Camel Knees. Do you know that? The reason they called him that is because his knees were so hard and so big and swollen because he prayed so much. Isn't that interesting? And so here, something that's very close to James, something that means very much to James is prayer. And so that's, it gets a nickname for, for loving to spend time with the Lord. And, and so he's old camel knees. And so old camel knees is going to finish up the book today. If you'll look with me in James chapter 5, verse 13, we'll read our text, okay? It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Then he finishes his letter in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for this letter. Thank you for Pastor James. Thank you for showing us his heart. And more importantly, thank you for showing us your heart. For challenging us, God. James has spoken very clearly about who it is that we're supposed to be. If we say we're Christ followers, then we need to look like Christ followers. We need to do the things that Christ followers do. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to hold up the mirror for us again today as we finish this series, that we might be exactly who you would call us to be, that we would connect with you, Father, on a heart level, on a very authentic uh, level of connection and prayer with you, and that we would love the way you love. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So, knowing that this is kind of some of James's last few thoughts to his congregation throughout uh, Judea. This is kind of a big deal. He wants to talk about prayer. He wants to talk about bringing people back. Um, he's encouraged us in a lot of ways, right? He's encouraged us to mature in our faith, to have joy in the middle of suffering and struggle. He's encouraged us to care for those. And we see this throughout the book, care for the marginalized, care for these people who are sort of outside the lines, people that's a little more difficult to love. That's who we need to care for, uh, the widows and the orphans people in greatest need. He says, remain unstained from the world's ways and the world's wisdom. It says, walk as a Christ follower, not just talk the talk. It's not enough. Walk the walk. He reminded us that we need to be uh, reminded that we're created in God's image, all of us, that there is equality to not show favoritism, to not show prejudice, to just love the way Jesus has loved us, to watch how we live, to watch how we speak. The reality that, that there is real evil within us. There is real evil that lives within us. And if we're not careful, it'll come out. It'll be how we live. So watch how we live. Care for people. Uh, instead, we need to be a humble people. We hear that theme throughout the book. And today, James tells us we need to be a people who connect with God authentically. So what does that mean? It means in every station of life, in everything you walk through, in every struggle, in every joy, right? That's what he says uh, here in the very first verse of our text in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. On the back of your card, I've listed a few different specifics of our text this morning. Uh, four specifically about prayer. And the first one is this. The church needs to be a group of people that are praying individuals. This is who we need to be. We need to be individually seeking the Lord in prayer. We need to have conversations with him. Uh, you know, can I just say this? If I didn't speak to my wife for a month or two, we wouldn't be that close. It's not, not a, you know, it's not rocket science right here. It just, it, we just wouldn't have much of a relationship, right? We wouldn't know what's going on. We, we have no idea how she's doing. We have no idea what she wants to do. It would just, it doesn't make sense. That's not how a relationship works. And yet we go sometimes weeks and weeks on end without speaking to the Lord, can I just say this, whether it be your marriage relationship or your relationship with Jesus, 
that intimacy is directly related to consistency. Intimacy is directly related to consistency. If we have an ongoing prayer life, if we have a, a situation where, listen, we can pray all, all the time, no matter where we are, no matter what we're walking through, then we can just keep this conversation going. God's not, listen, God's not looking for formality. He's not looking for the fancy words. Our most gracious and loving. Yeah, he, he's not looking for the voice. He's looking for the heart. He's looking for brokenness. He's looking for God. Where are you? He's, he's, he's open to questions because he loves you. He wants to hear your heart and your soul, and he wants intimacy in your relationship, and that's only going to come through consistency in prayer. James says, whatever it is that you're facing, pray. If you're suffering, let him pray. But here's what we do. Instead of praying, we try to fix it. We call somebody. I don't know about you. I'm about to get real honest here. So this is what some of us do. We go to little gods, little G gods, don't we? If we're suffering, give me something to eat. Like hearty. I mean, I want some dumplings, right? I want some Mexican food. I want something, I, I just, I want to feel better. I guess I'm the only one who does that. Right? <laughs> Let me, some of you go, can I get a cigarette? Some of you go, can I get too much to drink? Can I, can I go to something that for some reason we think will satisfy? But the truth is nothing satisfies but Jesus himself. So we go to the little G gods and we say, please fill me in this place that I need to be filled so much. But nothing will fill your heart and your soul but Jesus. Then you'll keep looking. You'll keep searching and you'll try this and you'll try that. Come on. What's missing? His name is Jesus. That's what's missing. Because when you find him, you find everything you need. So when you're suffering, instead of going to those things, instead of trying to fix it or calling a friend, how about you seek Jesus? You're depressed. You've been sick. You've had a hard time. You're sad. You're lonely. If you're suffering, pray. Don't let prayer be the last resort for you. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. This will be an ongoing conversation. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You might remember this is the verse that Corey Ten Boom and Betsy Ten Boom speak of when they are in a, a flea-ridden uh, dormitory, if you will, or prison camp uh, in Germany waiting to die. They're in this place of, uh, that's a literal hell on earth. But they've realized that because of the fleas, the guards don't come into their barracks. They won't come into the barracks, which means they won't take away their Bible. And they won't take away the Bible study they have with other women. And women are being saved before they go to the gas chamber. And so Betsy says, Corey, let's do what Paul says to do in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, 16, 17, and 18. Let's rejoice in our suffering. Let's pray without ceasing and let's give thanks for fleas. Are there fleas in your life? Things that are just hard. Things you don't understand that they may seem like a nuisance but somehow God has used a nuisance maybe to teach you something about himself. Maybe to draw you closer to how loving and kind a father he is. We should 
pray and give thanks in all circumstances. Listen, we don't pray so that God removes the circumstance. Did you know that? I, I, it's kind of news to me. I pray for the circumstance to change all the time. I'm reading this. I'm going, wait a minute. This verse, Paul is not saying pray that the circumstances change. Paul says give thanks in the circumstances. Well, what does that mean? For you to not have to pray that the circumstances change means that you trust a sovereign and almighty God that knows all things. He knows what he's doing, and it's an act of trust to go, God, I don't have to pray that the circumstances change. I just say thank you for the circumstances. Oh, listen, are you ready for that? Is that the condition of your heart? God, thank you for this time in the hospital. Thank you for this illness. Thank you for this struggle I'm walking through. Thank you for fleas, because you have a plan even in that. We don't pray for the deliverance to be removed, but we pray for strength in the middle of it. We pray for God to, to change us in the middle of it. This verse says um, that we should, when we're cheerful, we should sing praise. I like that. I'm a singer. I love to sing. I like the idea that when I'm happy, I'll sing. But the reality is the Greek word here for cheerful means to be cheerful in whether a good condition of your heart or a bad condition of your heart. So even though it says cheerful, what it means is at any time, sing praise. Also, the Greek word here that, that gets the same word for songs of praise is the word we give for psalm, like the book of psalm. There's songs and there's prayers. And by the way, did you know that songs are prayers? Did you know that? By your name I come alive. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. We're praying that back to God. As we sing, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. God, thank you. This is prayer with melody. That's what a song is. James is saying, pray whether you're struggling, good or bad, be cheerful, sing praise. Psalms are filled with prayers. And you know what? They're not always, <laughs> if you read the book of Psalms, they're not always just like, um, airy and fun and exciting and some of them are heartbreaking some of them are what they call imprecatory prayers they're, they're prayers against people they're very real they're very authentic they're very uh, down to earth and as you read through Psalms you will see man that's me I felt that way and sometimes they're even bipolar they start in one way and angry and frustrated and defensive and then they it's almost like God's getting a hold of David's heart and he turns and goes, but you're my God. And I always praise you and I always love you. I always trust you. That's who we need to be. We need to pray. We need to sing. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. He says, what am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind also. And I'll, I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind also. Occasionally, I love to do this. Uh, my girls went out to do some shopping or something a day or so ago. And I found myself in our living room just singing, praying, seeking, praying, singing, praying. It's just all one, right? It's just this mishmash of, of time with Jesus because it's all prayer. And I found my heart connected to him as a result. Listen, when we sing, we're saying, God, we want you to be glorified, but shape us. Shape us, mold us, make us who you want us to be. 
Did you know singing is rehearsing theology and doctrine? It's one of the reasons I love hymns so much. They're so thick with doctrine and theology and kind of the trick of the musician here, right? Kind of the secret of the songwriter is that if I can get it stuck in your head, we, in the songwriting industry, we call it a hook or a brain worm, right? You ever had a, I used to have this friend and he would walk up to me and just kind of whisper some song. He'd be like, lady. And I'd be like, what? And then later I'd be singing the Kenny Rogers song all day. You know what I mean? He had this really interesting gift to be able to stick a song in my head, and I would be there all day. It's called a hook. Musicians have used this little mystery to teach you doctrine and theology. And so as you're, as you're driving down the car and you're singing, oh, you're a good, good father, you're, guess what? You're singing scripture. Everything we sing here is founded in the word of God. Some people say, well, I like worship music some, but I like other music too. Listen, I do too. I love music. But there's not that much music that teaches you doctrine and theology. You might want to stick to that (laughs) a little more, right? That's what God's doing in your heart. He's teaching you these things. So we ought to be praying individuals. We also, in a community like this, have praying leaders. Look what he says, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James says, if you're sick, call for the elders and have them come to your home and pray over you. But now I want you to notice something. Uh, This is not talking about, I've got some sniffles. Can you guys come over? I banged up my knee. Can you you guys stop? Listen, if that's the case over the last two and a half, three months, We'd have had a full-time job praying over everyone. Have you been sick? I mean, we've had two months of sickness. And I've talked to many of you, you're like, I'm two months in. Like, this is not talking about everyday kind of occurrences. This is, a, this, the topic of this is a very serious illness. This is when the doctor says, hey, it's stage four. This is when the doctor says, you need to get things in order. This is when you can't move from a bed. Well, how do you know that? Well, it's because when you call the elders, you can't maybe go to them. They have to come to you. And when they pray, you may not even be able to get up. It says the elders will pray over you. Literally, what it means is over. They'll have to stand over your sick or dying bed and pray over you. The elders are the ones doing the praying, potentially because you're unconscious. Who knows? But this is, the point is, this is a very serious issue when the elders come to pray over you. But I think what's more interesting here is James is showing us what a family of faith is like. This is what it means to be a part of a family of faith, to have men who love you and want to serve you and want to pray for you, and we'd love to pray for you. And can I just put in a little side note to say, we would be honored to pray for you. This is the condition of your life, and this is where you are. We would love to come and pray for you. And not just then, let us know so we can be praying. We have leaders that want to serve you, want to cover you. There's an encouragement throughout the book of James that we should be caring for the marginalized, right? The widow, the orphan, the ones who have great need. Um, It talks about those that have been uh, prejudiced. He talks about all these different ones that have been abused. And I want you to know he's speaking here again about a marginalized group of people, the sick. How many of you know that in a third world country, many third world countries, if you are deathly ill, 
you're, you're as good as dead in that culture. It's very, very sad. In India, I have a friend, a guy that I call an acquaintance, I'll say. I have an acquaintance. His ministry is helping people die. You're like, what? Not, not like Kevorkian kind of helping people die. He takes people into his home that are dying, and he loves them and cares for their needs until they pass. It's beautiful, beautiful ministry. Because if he didn't, they're literally put out in the dump. They're literally put in the back. They literally, their, their life has no value. There's no sanctity of life until God takes our life. And so James is saying, listen, we care for everybody. And so if somebody's really, really sick, the elders, the leaders of the church are willing not to, you're not going to be ostracized. You're not going to be marginalized. No, we're going to come to your home and we're going to pray over you and believe God for whatever he wants to do in you. The elders came, they, uh, they come to pray, they come to anoint with oil. Now, um, it's easy sometimes, it's so easy sometimes to look at certain texts of the Bible and you just kind of read them for a surface, surface level, right? And if you read this text, you can read it at a surface level and go, oh, wow. If people are really, really sick, James is giving us sort of a to-do list, right? Here's the to-do list from James. All we have to do is just get the elders, and, and we, we anoint them with oil. We pray a prayer of faith, and then all of a sudden what happens? They get healed, they get up, and they walk away, and, and, and their sins are forgiven. It's, you can read it that way. But we can't read Scripture that way. We have to read Scripture with the understanding of the context and the whole of Scripture. So this this aspect has been abused, I think, in so many, so many ways. And what happens is when we don't consider context and other aspects of Scripture, we end up disappointed and confused. He talks about anointing with oil. And uh, this was mentioned one other time uh, in association with healing. I want to look at it. Mark 6, 13. It says the disciples, it says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, I want you to know this is when Jesus was training the disciples. He, he had this amazing training program. And part of the end of the training program of three years was sending people out for real-world ministry internship, right? They're going into homes. They're going to be doing these things. They're going to be healing people. And he gave a very specific list of things to take with them and do. In the list, we don't see oil. But in this text, we see that oil was used and, and people were healed. So it's very possible that maybe even Jesus directed for them to take oil, and we just don't see it in the list that was given. Oil was a medicine of the day. It was something that was used medicinally. So in the story in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan, he's beat up, he's cut, uh, the, the, the abuser, the abused is beat up and cut, and the Good Samaritan comes by and pours oil and wine on his wounds. And he uses those things as medicine. So we know that this was a medicinal use for oil, but I think what's happening here more so is that this is symbolic in nature. In the Old Testament, people who were anointed with oil, they were anointed to be set apart. So we've got Leviticus 8, we've got 1 Samuel 16, David, and they're, they're being poured oil on, on them. And what, that, what that's for is to say, this person is special. We want to set him apart for something, for God to, to take note, to do something special in him. And so I think that's what this is more meaning. When, when we anoint with oil, we're saying, Lord, we want you to give special attention and care to this person. That's what that means. That's what we need you to do in this moment. But most examples of healing in Scripture don't involve oil. 
And so I kind of take that as a, you, you can use it or not use it because guess what? The healing is not in the oil. The healing is not even in the elder's prayer. The healing is in the fact that we, we anoint people in the name of the Lord. He's the only one who can heal. He's the only, you say, so do you believe in healing? Absolutely. Do you believe in divine healing? I would say there is no other kind of healing. Only God heals. So he has, he's given us amazing technology. He's given us amazing doctors and nurses and fields to, to help us in healing. But only God heals. James said every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, right? And if you've been healed, and some of us have been struggling the last two months, you'd say that is a gift. I feel like that is a good gift from the Father, and I know that he has given it to me. Look at this verse. This is an interesting text. 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, this verse in particular has been used in some really, really bad theology. There are faith healers out there on TV, and I've been on a lot of stages with many of them, that if they try to heal somebody and it doesn't work, these awful people will lean down to the person who didn't get healed and say, well, you didn't have enough faith. Have you ever heard of something like that? How awful to tell somebody, this is your fault. You're the one that's not healed, and it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. That's not even good exegesis. Because what happens in this text is that the person who's sick calls the elders to pray, right? So who's praying the prayer of faith? The elders. It's not even talking about the person who's sick. And the healing doesn't come from the oil or from the prayer or from the elders. It comes from the Lord. And guess what? There is no guarantee, no formula, and no procedure for healing. God is sovereign. He chooses who to heal, when to heal, how to heal. So for us just to apply this James 5 passage over somebody who's really sick and say, just do these things and they'll get up. There are times you're going to end up disappointed because you've not considered the whole of Scripture. But listen to this, there's also times God will heal. So when, when elders come and pray, say you're in a situation, elders come and pray over you, I think we as elders would say this, Lord, we know you can heal right now. We know you have the power to heal right now. Miraculously, you can do anything you want to do. And if you want to heal now through this prayer of faith, in this moment, as we've anointed this person with oil, you can do that. God could do that, right? But he's not obligated to. He will, he will do exactly what his will is to do. We have to subject our own understanding and our own will to the sovereignty of God. There's no pattern or procedure for healing. Some faith healers will say, you know what? It's not, I've heard this so many times, it's not God's will for you to be sick. It's not. It's not God's will for you to suffer. You heard that one? Well, let me just bring a couple of texts of Scripture to your mind and see if that seems right to you. You see, Timothy had a stomach issue. He was, he was sick. Something was going on with his stomach, and, and the Apostle Paul said, you should drink some wine for your stomach. This is a medicinal aspect. You need to take some medicine for your stomach. Well, why would Paul do that if it wasn't God's will for him? Why don't he say, well, Paul, you don't have enough, I mean, Timothy, you don't have enough faith. Or, hey, Timothy, let's just heal you. But he doesn't, because it's not always God's will to heal. Sometimes God uses sickness and suffering 
to draw us closer to him. Paul himself said, I have a thorn in my flesh, and I've pleaded with God three times to take it away. Many theologians think it was a physical ailment, a phys- something of a medical nature in his body. God didn't heal him, and at some point Paul said, I don't even want to be healed. God's using this in me to help me understand that his grace is enough for me. It's not always God's will to heal or to take you out of a difficult circumstance. He may use it. There was a time in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 where Paul was with a man who was sick and he left him sick. So if it was always God's will to heal, then what was Paul out of God's will? Did Paul not have enough faith? What happened? The point is that if it's God's will to heal you, he can. And if he chooses to use this model with these elders praying in this direction, he will, but he's not obligated to. He's not obligated to. He's sovereign and he chooses. One thing that's interesting in this, it says that uh, his sins will be, if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's this mention of sins. What he's implying here is that there are some sicknesses caused by sin. Some of you have some ailments. Some of you have some issues that have been caused by sin. But not always. That's why James says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So here's the deal. Sin can cause sickness. Uh, Think about David, Psalm 51. He's pleading with God, please forgive me because it feels like my bones are wasting away. I'm sick, I'm ill, I'm tired, I'm broken. Because of my sin, I need your forgiveness. But it's causing these physical conditions. Or I think about Job. Was he sick? Oh, man. Did he go through it? Yeah, but did he sin? No, it wasn't sin that caused that. God allowed that suffering. God allowed that sickness. He allowed that season for his glory. A couple of years ago, I had a friend friend of our family's in the hospital. I heard that he, we're just kind of acquaintances, weren't that close, but I'd heard he'd been in the hospital for seven to ten days, and it wasn't maybe looking that good. And Lori and I prayed about it, and I, I went to the hospital, and I, I got to spend time with him, and I just talked to him. I said, hey, you know, I, I'm praying God heals you, and I'm praying that the doctors know what they're doing, but you know what's more important is to know that you know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? He just began to weep. Yes, I know Jesus. So you know that he's forgiven you of your sins. You know that your heart is in a right place no matter what direction the medical thing goes. You see, God doesn't only heal physically, he also heals spiritually. And doesn't it make sense that if the elders were at a dying man's home, they might do the same thing I did and say, hey, hey man, I know you're not doing well, but how's your heart? How's your life with Christ? Do, you, do we need to pray that sins are forgiven? James is saying that your sins can be forgiven. Sometimes we need to remember that even in our sickness, we're reminded that God is the God who heals us physically and spiritually. He's the one who created us. And God can heal and God can save and forgive. He encourages us to pray individually with leaders. He encourages us to play, pray with a uh, praying community. And this is just a little side note here for uh, our partnership and for what we do as a community. You need a church home. You need a group of people you're committed to and walking life with, and this is one of the reasons. Look at the verse, uh, verse 16 here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
This, I love this verse. What it's saying is when you're a part of a faith community that you've truly made a commitment to, hey, I want to walk life with you, and I want you to walk life with me. I want to have relationships that are so close I can share everything with you. I want to be intentional about the sin in my life. And when we do that, it's like we're acknowledging together that uh, our God is a God of forgiveness. We have a collective need for that forgiveness, for that grace. Listen, can I just say, don't wait until you're on your deathbed to go, oh yeah, this is probably because I smoked all my life. Oh yeah, I'm probably here and about to die because I drank too much. Oh yeah, I was uh, slept with whoever I wanted to and now I've got a, a disease that's killing me. I need to confess. Don't wait, friends. Before you get to that place, live a life with other people in community that you can be honest with and say, I'm struggling. I need help. Will you help me? Bring that junk into the light of Jesus. The darkness that's going on in your soul, bring it to the light of Jesus and live an ongoing. In fact, the Greek word here, the present tense of the imperative is that we should continue to live this way. This isn't like a one-off kind of a deal. Hey, I confess my sin. I'm good to go for the next 20. No, this is the kind of lifestyle we live among the people we've committed to. This is why we have a covenant because it's serious. It's serious conversation. Hey, I'm committed to you and I can share these things with you. It's ongoing. And he mentions, pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is kind of like saying, whatever the case may be, whether you've been in sin, whether God's doing, whether your body's sick, whatever the case, this is preventive maintenance. Pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, just in case, so that you may be healed. God can do this in you. We have to own our sin. We have to humble ourselves with each other with a hope that God will be glorified in our lives, whether it be through transparency or honesty or sickness and sin. But I, I'll just say this. It doesn't mean that you share your sin history with every single person. At lunch today, don't wait on the waiter to come by, right? Okay, can I get you to drink? You doing okay today? Can okay, I get you tea, coke? You know, I just want to tell you, i am really been struggling with some. He doesn't care. That's an inappropriate relationship to share something like that with, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about coming here today and just unload. I'm talking about be intentional about relationships that you seek out that you can have this kind of relationship with, that you can share people that love you and encourage you. Here's the next thing. We need to be a people praying with power. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. A couple of months or a couple of weeks ago, two or three, four weeks ago, I took my kids to see a concert, Toby Mac. They're big fans of Toby Mac. And many of you know, my wife and I spent almost 20 years in the music industry, so we know some people who know some people, right? And occasionally, we take advantage of that. It's who you know, right? That's what they say. And so Lori called a friend and said, hey, we'd like some backstage passes to go see Toby. We got them. We took our girls backstage and got to talk with Toby and spend time and take pictures with Toby. And it's all about who you know, right? It's the same thing about your need for prayer. Do you have a great need in your life? I'm telling you this right here. If I had a great concern in my life, I know I would go to, to that one right there because I know her relationship with Jesus. 
I'd go to Daryl because I know his relationship with Jesus and my relationship with him. I'd go to Brother Jerry because he has a, pretty much a one-on-one conversation with God <laughs> Almighty. Do you know what I'm saying? It's who you know. You want, you want to take something to the Lord? Then take it to people. The, the text says this. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Now, the text in Romans says there's none righteous, no, not one. What he's trying to say is, does this person have a relationship that's close to God? Is this a blameless person? Is this a person who is an ongoing, always praying, never ceasing conversation going with God? He's close to the Lord because it's who you know. And I want to get that need out to the people that I know can get it to God as soon as possible, right? That's what you should do. Because when they pray, God listens. He moves. And they're connected to the greatest power. So it says, as it is working. That's always been kind of confusing to me. All that means is this works. Somebody who's close to the Lord and they pray, there's power and it works. That's what it means. It's very simple. And he gives us this example of Elijah. And the reason for Elijah, Elijah did amazing things. And there's a whole message right here talking about Elijah. But can I just say, the main point James is trying to say is, yes, Elijah was amazing, but The main point I want to make to you is that he was just like us. That's it. His nature was just like us. He's just a man just like you and me. And God used him tremendously through prayer. In this paragraph of of Scripture, James uses the concept of the idea of prayer in every sentence. It's very important. He uses regular people. He communes with men like us. And then we see in the last verse, and I'm going to close, the context change. It goes from his, uh, something that he's very close to, old camel knees, right? To this last section of the book, which is really beautiful. It shows the heart of a pastor completely. I'm calling this section Search and Rescue. Verse 19 says, my brothers. Again, he addresses his church with an endearing title. My brothers. Listen, think about this. This is, the last, this is the last thing I'm going to say. This is it. Listen up. He's saying, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the heart of a pastor. The final thing that he says is, I mean, he's encouraged us. He's warned us. He's done all these things. But the last verse is, hey, if somebody's not doing the things we've been talking about, go get them. Do you notice he didn't call the elders here to do that? Did you notice that? This is not a job for the elders. This is a job for the church. That's you. That's all of us. Has somebody wandered away? Here's the thing. I started looking at this. I thought, how do you wander away from the truth? Well, first of all, you have to have a standard of truth. There has to be an understanding of what a standard of truth is. It's the Word of God. For our church, we believe the Word of God is infallible. That's what we will stand on. That's what we will believe in. That's what we will die for if we have to. It's the Word of God. Up here in my message, I've got what I want to say to you. And I've got a few things highlighted in yellow. You ever use a highlighter? Our leaders, our elders have have basically highlighted some verses about what it means to be a partner of our church. It's called our covenant. They've highlighted some verses out of Scripture. They've brought them out and said, hey, these are good verses for you to know about what it means to be in community as a church, according to the Bible. Not our opinion. This is according to God's opinion in His Word. Let me tell you what that document 
says. It says that it, it defines for us what truth is and how we'll live by it. So there's a standard of truth, right? How will we know if somebody wanders away? Well, they've wandered away from the standard of truth, which for us is the Bible highlighted in our covenant. It's a promise to walk life with each other so closely that we can share our struggles, our sickness, our sin, and pray for one another. It's permission, listen, it's permission that we give to one another to come after us if we wander away. I love that. Because can I tell you something? If I don't have accountability in my life, if I don't have small groups, if I don't have the word of God influencing me, let me tell you what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an adulterer. I'm going to be addicted to probably to porn, uh, alcohol, you name it. I, I promise you, that's where I'll go. I'll go there. The thing that keeps me from being that person is you. It's people who love me and go, you don't have to live that way. So I value I value your friendship. I value the small group that says, I'm praying for you. And I don't step over that line, Lord willing. And I continue to, to seek him because of this value of church community. It keeps me on the path to following Jesus. That's why we have a covenant. That's why we have partnership. That's why we are the church that we are. We want to help people on the road to Christ-likeness. And this is the way we're going to do it. And then lastly, he says he saves his soul from death. The point is this. This is very serious. People who've wandered away from truth, they very well may not know Jesus at all. You may be in here today, and at some point, you wandered away from truth, and you wandered away from the church. That's kind of what this is saying. You wandered away from truth, and you wandered away from this body. And he's saying, bring them back so that they might save their soul. Friend, if you've wandered away, and somehow you've wandered into here, Come home. Come back to Christ. Come back to his family. We will help you. We are a broken people just like you in need of this grace. Come back. And then lastly, he says he'll cover a multitude of sins. It's the last part of the verse. He'll cover a multitude of sins. That's saying, that's kind of the definition of grace. Grace covers multitude of sins. And when the church goes out and does the job of the church and helps bring people back that have wandered away, they warn them, save your soul, don't do this. Don't wander away, we love you. We'll look over, right? That's what that means. We'll, we'll cover a multitude of sins. It won't be about all, we won't take a to-do list of all the things you did wrong. We just want you to come back for the sake of unity, for the sake of peace. And even God is pleading, come home. I'll cover you in grace, which will cover a multitude of sins. So I've got some questions for us this morning. Are you involved enough in each other's lives that you could actually recognize when somebody leaves? This is why it's so important for our city group leaders to help pastor, to know where people are, to know what's going on. Are, do you know when they've left? Do you have courage and relationship to approach them? Are we concerned about their souls? Theologian J.A. Motyer says this in his book on James, the message of James. He says, though we cannot convert them, we must labor to do so. Though we cannot save them from death, we must strive for their spiritual welfare as if their eternal destiny rested with us. Though we cannot cover their sins, we must follow the example of the Son of God who can do so. 
and hold nothing dear to ourselves and no sacrifice too great if only they are saved. For the local church of which James speaks is a fellowship of concern. Oh, that our church would be a church that's concerned, not about our preferences, not about what we want or what we think we've lost, but about people who have walked away and people who need Jesus, that that is our greatest concern, that God might use us for his glory and draw us all into a relationship with him. That's where life is. Does the idea of prayer, when I say the word prayer for you, Prayer with God. Does it sound like something? Oh, yeah, I've been doing that. It's ongoing. I, I can jump right back in. Or does it sound like something you'd have to do with a stranger? You can gauge your relationship with Jesus right here, right now. How often do you pray? How is your relationship with God based on how much you spend time speaking with him? Or does the idea of a church where you share things like sin and struggle, does that scare you to death? Or does it make you go, oh, I need that? I don't want to walk away. I don't want to wander away. I want to be exactly who God wants me to be, and I need a family that would allow me to be that because we're all imperfect and all make mistakes, and that's the kind of family I want to join and be a part of. Maybe this morning you are the wanderer. Maybe today you're the one that wandered off. Can I just tell you this? Come on. And when the church, listen, how beautiful when the church reaches out to bring someone home, they're acting in the personality and the character of Jesus himself. When the church reaches out to save and say, come home, that's the very nature of God Almighty saying, I've sent my son so that you can come home. Today, if you're the one who's wondered, I want you to know that God is waiting, arms open wide, to love on you, to meet your need to cover a multitude of sins in your life, and we as a church would love to walk with you through that. We're going to end today a little differently. We are going to sing a song, and we're not going to leave after this, but instead of us asking you to come down here and pray, we're going to do something a little different. I don't want this to make you feel uncomfortable. I hope it doesn't. It might. But I'm going to ask that you pray with each other. So I'm going to ask in just a moment that we gather in groups of three, five, six, and I'd like to see the body of Christ pray for one another. I think James would smile on that idea that we're sharing with one another. We're praying for one another's needs. We're, we're praying over one another as the body of Christ, as the family. We are a family. So grab some people either that you know or you don't know. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever your comfort level will allow. If you need prayer with one of the elders, one of the pastors, come down here and we'll pray with you in the altar. Maybe you just need to go straight to the Lord and you need to get on your knees. And it needs to be in the altar. That's fine too. Doesn't matter how far you've walked or run away from Jesus. He's waiting arms open wide. Come home. Come home today. Don't wait another minute. Come home. Come home, my friend. He loves you. Lord God. I pray that you would just help us now as we gather in these small groups to share our hearts, to cover one another, and to bless you as the body of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just take a few minutes and gather up and pray together, can we? And I'll bring you back together and we'll sing our last song.